Good morning. It's good to see you here this weekend, this holiday weekend. I know there's a lot happening. But hey, before I get into my message today, I want to talk to our membership for a minute. Uh, we're about two years into being an elder church and leading into that and getting to see the succession of that I think is very, very important. And so this first wave of elders, we created a, a plan where every year we'd be nominating and, and promoting somebody new to take that spot. And so in that process, this year we have two men, uh, Joel Ashenhurst and and also um, Phil Brown, they're going to be rotating off at the end of this year. And so for the next two months, uh, here in July and August, we're asking our members to pray and to nominate somebody that you sense that can maybe serve in this role in the days to come. Uh, this Thursday, we're going to send out an email to all the members so you'll get more details on how you can go online and get more information about how to prepare your heart for nominating somebody. And then through the next several months, we'll have that process of, of getting down to two names. And in January, at our annual gathering, we'll have a chance to affirm two guys that will serve in this role as elder. And so again, just inviting you into the process to not miss that. I wanted to say something on a Sunday morning just to call your attention to that. And so with that being said, uh, can I just say this? This is an exciting week. Uh, it's another year our country gets to have a birthday. Happy birthday, America, right? And, and listen, I realize our country's far from perfect, and there have been a lot of tensions, a lot of challenges, even a lot of feeling divided right about now. But I'm telling you, even in all of that, can I just say to you, we live in a, an incredible country. The United States really has amazing freedoms and amazing opportunities. And even despite maybe some of the things that, that we aren't the way we want them to be, we indeed live in a great country. And so I thought, uh, as we have a chance... As we have a chance to be a little reflective this week of July 4th, it might be a chance for us also to be mindful of men and women uh, who have served or are currently serving to continue to maintain the freedoms that we have in this great country. And so if you are at this campus or at our Fredericksburg campus, I want to ask you to simply stand up if you have served or you're currently serving your country in that way. Come on, come on. Praise God. A lot of you out here with us today, we say thank you. Thank you for your service. Hey, stay standing for a minute. Let's pray. Father God, we just simply say we love you and we worship you. And we say thank you for the country that you have now placed us in to live. Thank you for the United States of America. And as I shared, God, uh, we were born in 1776 and here we are all these years later. And we know that, God, as you lead us, we want you to lead us. You started our country on a foundation of faith. And I know, God, that doesn't force it upon anyone. If anything, it brings this theme of freedom, freedom of religion. And God, I'm just going to borrow Joshua's words today where he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, that's the decision I make for my family and my home. And God, I make that declaration for us as a people called Mount Ararat. That we want to use our freedom with responsibility, God, and we want to live for you and your kingdom. Thank you for Jesus and the ultimate freedom that's ours in faith. But God, thank you for the fact that we get to be citizens of this country. And we want to be citizens that represent light, God. We believe that we're here for a purpose and a reason. But I want to pray especially for the men and women standing here representing our military family. Thank you that we are a church that's made up of all these military families 
And God, I want to pray for them specifically because it's a calling, what they're called to do, and it's not always easy. Many times it's separation from family through deployments and TDYs and other things like that. And God, I just pray that you would continue to guard the families, that you'd continue to bless these families, and that you would continue to protect marriages. God, thank you that we get to see the visible effect of how people serve right here among us. And may we never, never, never take this freedom for granted. I pray, God, for our leaders. I pray for our president. I pray for all these people that are making delicate decisions that affect many. And God, I pray that you would continue to help us as the people of God to bear light even during dark days. Again, God, we thank you and we put our trust in you above everything else. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together and the church agreed by saying, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, hey, listen, I know that this week you you might have at least one day off of work and I hope you'll get some time to be thankful and be reflective and to be grateful. I hope that's what will show up in your heart. But really there's a lot of traditions that come around this this time called uh, the 4th of July. As I thought about some of the things that I, I experienced as a young kid, one of the things that we did, and I don't know if you did this, but uh, in my neck of the woods, I lived in Irving, Texas, where in Irving you couldn't sell or set off fireworks in our county. It was illegal to do that. Yet somehow, some way on my street, there were some older kids that lived on the street, and we would all pull our monies together, and we would give them the money to go into the fireworks stand outside the county, and they would all load up on fireworks. And man, every year, man, I love that time of year because I was going to get some, some bottle rockets, some Roman candles, some black cats, and some smoke bombs. And man, I would, I would spend my money and I would pack all this stuff in shoe boxes and I would hide it under the bed. Mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. And if mom was gone for a few hours that day, oh man, we would take that stuff out and we would have... I have some fun. And even there was times I even spent it at my buddy's house and we'd sneak out. And, and literally there's this guy on our street. We love getting in the middle of the night, setting off a string of black cats right there on his front porch. You know what I mean? And as soon as we set that thing off, we would hide and we would watch the lights come on and dad coming out ready to fight, right? We loved it. Bam, 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 bam. And that silence would get interrupted with black. Listen, I didn't say I was a good kid. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Well, you know what? How many of you are 80s kids? Come on, 80s kids. Come on, 80s. Love the 80s. Man, we grew up with Rambo. You know what that meant? It meant, man, we would have war where I'd literally strap the black cats across my chest like bullets, right? I'd paint my face. I'd load my pockets with smoke bombs and and fireworks, and we would go and pursue uh, the enemy camp of our friends in their treehouse, right? And one day, Kevin and I, we snuck into the backyard. We threw in three smoke bombs to kind of smoke them out of the, the treehouse. And then I went up on the tree and began to climb up that ladder. And then I lit a Roman candle. Now, y'all know what a Roman candle is, right? This cool invention where you can light it and shoot flaming BBs, right? I mean, listen, come on. Parents right now are nervous about what I'm talking about. Listen, listen. These Roman candles... Uh, these were like the greatest, especially when you're trying to pursue. And so we smoke them out of this treehouse, and then I climb up the side, I light the Roman candle, and I shove it up in the crack to shoot into the treehouse, right? And these guys, they knew we were coming, and they put, they put a trash can lid over the holes 
So yeah, now these flaming BBs are now raining back down onto me. Here I am on the side of this tree, and now my Adidas tank top is on fire. And then the last one landed right on my pinky finger and started to burn my hand. I was like, ah, I jumped out of the tree. I jumped over the fence and put my hand in the pole, the swimming pool next door, right? Come on, come on, kids, don't try this at home. Don't try this on. But come on, how many of y'all have memories like that? Happy Fourth of July, right? Or it's you got finger, sorry, fingers, uh, scars to prove the fireworks that went off in your hand, right? But that was that was that kind of that moment. That was some of that memory for me. Well, this last week, as I was preparing for the message, I ended up watching this movie that's just out. It actually came out several months ago. Now it's on uh, where you can watch it on on demand. But it's called The Apostle Paul. Has, have any of y'all seen this movie yet? Man, I'm telling you, if you haven't. This is one of those movies you need to see. And I realize sometimes Christians, they put out movies that aren't always quality. This right here is quality stuff that really goes in line with Scripture. Now, Apostle Paul is in the last part of his life, and he's in a Roman prison, and he gets visited. That's not Jesus. That's Jim Conviesel. But he actually plays the role of Luke, the doctor, right, the disciple. And he comes to visit his friend Paul, and they had these conversations. It, it's kind of, it's a powerful movie. You need to see it, but, but it, it's before Paul gets executed. And really, even the language, the words of this movie are scripture, things that Paul has written in the New Testament. And I just find, man, it was a powerful movie. Well, it kind of begins in this time frame where they're in Rome. Nero is the leader at that time. If you know anything about Nero, he was a psychotic leader. And not only that, he hated Christians. History tells us later that he lit Rome on fire so he could blame the Christians to the fire. He wanted to accelerate the hate that the Roman citizens should have about Christians. And he attacked. And so this movie starts literally with Rome kind of on fire. And then it talks about this idea of the circus games. The circus games were these games where they would literally take Christians and torture them and even execute them for entertainment. That people would gather and they would watch these things happening. And it was just this cruel, kind of sadistic way of cruel and treating against humanity called Christians. And then it shows this one scene right out of the gate. Another thing that, that Nero loved to do is he loved to take Christians and try to get them to denounce their faith. And when they wouldn't renounce of not following Jesus, he literally would have them tied to a stake or even impelled to a stake. They would pour hot oil over them and light them on fire like a human candle. He would use these candles, these living candles, these people screaming out their last breath in this agony of pain, and he would use it to light the way of the pathway. Or if he's throwing a party, he would use them to light his very own garden for the event. Doesn't this sound crazy? And this is where this word originated, a Roman candle. Interesting. You know, I was thinking about that. How could someone be that inhumane, that cruel to do something to another human being like that? And then I flipped the question around and thought, what kind of faith would it take for you to hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ if you knew your life was going to result like that? Can you imagine that kind of faith? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. And as you turn there, man, we're going to do a slow walk. 
through this letter uh, for the next few weeks together as we even started it uh, at the month of June and all the way through July. But I love how God's word is speaking something to us as we kind of continue to lean in on this. And as we look here at the words of God today, the reason I share some of these stories is, is this is the climate that John is writing to when he writes to these churches out around Ephesus. Now, it wasn't maybe quite what was experienced in Rome, but their lives physically were in danger the longer they walked and followed Jesus. That's, the, that's what was coming outside the church, against the church. To make it worse, inside these churches that, that, that John had a relationship with is that they were beginning to buy into a lot of false teaching, a lot of bad preaching, a lot of bad things that don't match up with the words of God. And so they're being attacked from the outside, and now they're being attacked from the inside. And what it was causing... It was causing many people to say, this is just too hard to trust and believe. And many people decided to walk away from faith and to walk away from the church during this hour. That's the purpose that John writes this letter. He's trying to speak in to those that are being faithful and trying to remain. And he wants to encourage them to keep remaining faithful. And at the same time, he's calling out those that are sitting among them that are really fake and really counterfeit in their Christianity. So he's writing a letter to encourage and writing a letter to expose. Real versus fake. I titled today's message, Fireworks. Come on, don't you like that? And I know maybe somebody's in town because you're here to celebrate this week with your family. And we want to welcome you here at the Mount. I'm glad that you're here. But I'm going to be honest with you, this message today, it's fireworks. Let's go ahead and tell you that. It's not a mail it in. It's not just a, oh, let's be a little cozy here on holiday weekend. This is a strong word that I've been preaching all morning, and, and it's, it's going to be there for us today. But here's what I wanted to do. I, I want God's word to expose who we are. Are we real or are we fake in our faith? And to me, there's something about this message that John kind of leads us to here today. Are you there? John, John chapter 2, and let's just kind of pick up in verse 28. Look at what it says here. And now, dear children, that's what he was speaking to with believers. Remember we said that? Now, dear children, I want you to continue in him, continue in your faith in him. And when he appears, he's talking about Jesus, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now, this is powerful for us to see because we believe, Christians, we believe that Jesus is coming back. Come on, you believe that? And John believed that too, and he's trying to encourage because these people are, are they're, they're discouraged. Man, they're beat down. They're uncertain, and they need some encouragement. And so he says, I want you to find your confidence, and, and I want you to see what we're, what we're confident in, that you can be unashamed at what's going to happen next. Verse 29, if you know, what, know he is righteous, then you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and we will be has not yet been made known. Now, that's a kind of a tricky sentence. Let me say it again. What we will be has not yet 
been made known. Listen, if you're a Christian today, that means we're in process. We're in process of who we are becoming. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him, they purify themselves just as Jesus is pure. Now, as we read this today, I've been saying this the last several weeks. So you that have been with me the last few weeks, you already know this. But let's just fill in the gap again. Come on. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. And really we're looking at this saying, okay, God, what's my identity? Who am I in Jesus? And then what's my purpose? And my identity will start and lead me to what I've been made for, what my purpose is. It's this idea of being and doing. Well, today, I believe John's going to give us a greater motivation of how we can live, even when we're being challenged and tested, how can we live? And it's not just who you are, it's whose you are whose you are. And as we look at that today in the words of God, I, I, wanna, I want you to be encouraged today, even though this message is titled Fireworks. And as we look here at this passage, I want us to lean in a little bit more because John already reveals something here where he's trying to shift our thinking from following the law to following a relationship. So which would you rather follow, the law or the relationship? Think about that for a second. We kind of get there. Because see, Jewish people up to this point have been following the law or the rules, right? Or the commands. And we get that. That's how they can follow God. But now something greater has happened in faith. We don't have to follow the law. We can follow a relationship. We all understand this. Come on. How many of you, come on, do you like following the law? We don't always get motivated to follow the law. But most of us, most of us here today follow the law. Or, or should I say some of us, right? Especially if I'm talking about driving, right? Speed limits, most, most of us follow the law, right? Or s some of us follow the law or, or, or few of us follow. Listen, if you could follow the law, why do you follow the law? Because you don't want to what, get caught? Or you don't want to have a consequence for not following the law. If you knew you weren't going to get caught and you weren't going to have a consequence, would there be a speed limit for you? <laughs> yeah, Probably faith out of the front row. No, I would probably drive. Because sometimes when I know there's a law and I know there's a consequence, I still drive fast, right? And, and even in this, I preached this last service and this one lady came up and she said, Pastor, we got pulled over on the way to church today. I said, that's God preaching at you. Slow down, right? Now, here we go. But the law, the law has never been meant to save us or to motivate us, Right? Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2, verse 20, it says, we get the law and it serves two purposes. To show us that we're what? We're lawbreakers. The whole purpose of the law is to show that we're lawbreakers. And not only to show that we're sinners, but also show us that we have a need. We need a savior. That's what the law does. It's never meant to motivate. But a relationship, oh man, that can motivate, can it? Think about this. If you're here today and you say, I'm not a Christ follower, I'm an unbeliever. Okay, I get that. When you break God's law, you break God's law, right? But if you're a Christ follower here today, when you break God's law, you break the Father's heart. Did you ever think about that? You break God's heart. And I wonder, as Christians, does it break our heart to sin against God? Or is something shifted sometimes in our lives, in our thinking, in our outlook? This idea of knowing whose we are, to me, is a game changer when we begin to put it into this role of identity and purpose. 
And actually, I told you wrong. It's Romans 3.20. So all you Bible scholars out there, write that down as a footnote. Now, think about this for a second. Does it, does it help us to see this, these lines that we're going to read about, the difference between being a real Christian and a false Christian, or a real Christian and a counterfeit Christian. Let me share this illustration this way, and I've shared this before. The United States Treasury Department has a special group of men whose job, whose job is to track down counterfeit money. Now, we might think, okay, the way you train that agent is to give them a lot of counterfeit money so they can see patterns in how it gets used. But you might find that that's not the way you train these agents. The way you train counterfeit agents is they don't spend any time looking at counterfeit stuff. They spend all of their time studying the real stuff. Because when you know the real stuff, you can spot the fake a mile away. And they can begin to see it and clearly see the fake. They can touch it and see the fake and feel the fake, the difference in it. That's what John is doing right here. Instead of spending a lot of verses telling us how not to live, he spends most of his time telling us what an authentic Christ follower looks like. He'd rather us spend our energy that way. And so today, right here out of the text, I want to share with you three motivations of how you and I can live a godly life, if that is your desire today. Number one, God the Father loves you. You need to hear that. God the Father loves you. I know religion tells you God is angry at you, he hates you. I can tell you this, the, go- the gospel, the good news says the opposite. It says God loves you. God loves you. Do you hear that? Come on, God loves you. Some of you don't believe this yet. God loves you. That's why he did this whole service to reach you today. He loves you. And I think there's a motivation there that's beautiful. When we start thinking about God in relational terms as a father, and God the Father loves us. Sometimes we live a life where we get into situations where we get hurt, where we get rejected, where we go through a tough time, where we experience a tough loss, and we begin to doubt the things of God, and we got to come back again to go, oh, no, no, God loves me. Because when we begin to think about God the Father loving us, then, then we can begin to see what our salvation is built upon and what our salvation is all about. Now, as I give it to you today, I'm going to separate these two. Not that they're supposed to be, but I think sometimes it's good to distinguish between these two. Talk about salvation and also talk about our Christian living. And so I want you to see this because sometimes I think we separate these two uh, in a way that's unhealthy. So you got a Christian life and you got salvation. And, and really, they're not two opposing things. Salvation really is the door that walks us into the Christian life. Now, if you're a Christian, this makes sense, doesn't it? That God saves you now so you can grow as a disciple. So there's, there's a purpose now for our life of understanding our identity and understanding who we are in Christ. But to know that it all begins because God the Father loves us. Think about this for a second. John didn't just write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote the Gospel of John. We talked about this, right? The Gospel of John and the idea of the Gospel of John, he tells the story of Jesus and his life. Do you remember in John chapter 3 where, where Jesus is actually uh, having a conversation with somebody? Remember there's this guy, there's this Jewish leader. His name is Nicodemus. Remember this? And Nicodemus wanted to talk to Jesus, but he was so afraid to come talk to Jesus. He didn't want to be seen with Jesus. So where does he show up to talk to Jesus? 
Come on, y'all know this. Nicodemus, Nick, Nick at night, right? He shows up at nighttime because he doesn't want to be seen. And in this conversation with Jesus, Jesus turns it on him and says this to him. He says this. He says, hey, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. Now, we understand this idea of born again is how we begin with God, right? It's salvation. It's where we surrender our lives to him. It's where we believe. It's where we receive. It's where we give up. And we begin to say, okay, God, not my way, but your way. You're born again. Well, isn't it interesting that John, writing this letter years later, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, he says, those that are doing right are born of God. So our, our actions, our behavior coming out of us is evidence that we are born of God. Isn't that strong? John goes on to say, actually, when he's writing his gospel version of the story, go back to John chapter 1, and he says it this way about the laws, right? He says, he, says, he Jesus, came into that which was his own. He came to the Jewish nation, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe, there's a key word, in his name, he gave the right to become what? Come on, children of God. And he goes on to say, born of God. So you're getting this image again of how we have a relationship with him. And then he goes on to say this later in that same chapter. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through who? Come on, we get this. Moses, come on, Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, tablets, right? God gave the law. The law wasn't meant to save. The law wasn't meant to motivate. The law was meant to show us that we're lawbreakers and we need a Savior. That's what it's all about, right? He shows us this. But good news, everybody. Jesus came bringing grace and truth. That's what he brings to the story. That's what he brings to the table. And I love this about who God is. God the Father, come on, he's, God the Father so loved the world that he sent Jesus to reach us. That's how much he loves us. That ought to motivate us to want to love him back and to want to live for him. Now here's where it gets a little trickier as we kind of lean in on this, is as we keep reading, look at what he says next, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous and the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work now this is interesting he goes from God the father to now he goes to God the son come on write this with me God the son God the Son died for you. And he gives us two reasons right here. He died for us. What was the two reasons? Come on, right there. He says to take away our sins 
and to destroy the work of the devil. It always gets weird when you say devil in church. It kind of seems almost like, are y'all those people, right? But yet the Bible says that, so let's don't shy away from this. But, but Jesus, the son, came and he was a sinless one and he came and he died, right? So that we might live. And this is important for us to see. So let's just go back to this again. This idea of salvation. Salvation begins when we surrender our lives to Jesus. A surrendered life to Jesus. It's a doorway that we walk through and now we get a Christian life, right? Now I know today I'm doing a little teaching versus preaching, but come on, stick with me here as we listen to God's word today because God's got something to say here. In the Christian life, after you become born again, right? In this Christian life, the Christian life is how you think about things. The Christian life is the attitude of your heart. The Christian life is the actions, right? The Christian life is your behavior. The Christian life is all the relationships and the way you interact with people. The Christian life is how you relate to money and possessions. The Christian life is all about how you live your life in a way where people outside of your life can look at you and go, oh, I see, I see what God is doing in you. Does does this make sense? But somehow, just like in their day, we do this. We separate these two as if they're separate things. And some of us will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet we look at your life and we go, really? Or maybe you have a friend. Hey, the title of this message is Fireworks, right? This is, the, this is that one you finally got the courage to bring your friend today and you're like, oh, pastor of all days, why today, Right? I know you're sweating it, but listen to me. There's something here because, because, because we separate these two, it's a difference between being a real Christian and a fake Christian. And I'm here to tell you, counterfeit Christians are getting in the way of the work of God. I'm all about happy birthday, America, but we have way too many churches that are filled with fake Christians today. People that say one thing and do another. And God's saying, you can't do it that way. That's not what transformation is all about. Now, as I read in the passage, it's a process. It's who we're becoming. I'm not the same yesterday as I was before. And I'm different today than I was yesterday. And I'm heading somewhere. It's a process. It's a process, right? But is it a process for you or is it just these two don't connect for you? Because when I look at this, and we're talking about this evidence in your life, then we can use this word. That's what we call the fruit of your life. That's what the Bible says, right? The fruit of your life. People ought to be able to look at the fruit of your life and see. And if that's the fruit, then this is the root, right? Now, I know sometimes we like, to, we like to fake this out and show people one thing and we're really something else. But I'm telling you, the fruit will always represent the root. Does that make sense? So this right here is always going to be connected to this. So if you don't like this, my question is, are you rooted in this? But what gets in the way of this is what John's talking about. And it's the uncomfortable thing that churches don't like to talk about anymore. It's it's the fact that we all struggle with what? Sin. And he uses some really stark language. He said, hey, okay, if you're connected to God, then you'll, you'll no longer be sinning anymore. And he used that and he says, people that are sinning aren't really connected to God because you won't keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning if you know that you're connected to God in that way. Now already I'm feeling it. You're pushing back a little bit. Wait a minute, pastor. 
come on. I'm a Christian, but I'm not sinless. Hey, I get that. I get that too. Listen, listen, even John gets that. John chapter 1, remember if you hear 1 John chapter 1, that first week it says, if you think you're sinless, you don't deceive yourself, right? And it says, confess your sins and God will forgive your sins. I get all that, but here's the difference maker. Here's the difference that I think that we miss sometimes. As a Christian, yeah, Christians aren't sinless, but over time, the more you walk with Jesus, you ought to become. And where you're sinning less, Right? Not sinless, but sinless because I'm walking and talking and living for Jesus. Come on. Does that make sense today? And so really what we're talking about here in this sin tension is this. Is right now, if I were to evaluate the sin that I'm struggling with right now in my life, is my sin an incident or is it a pattern? Because I think as Christians, we ought to be struggling with sin as an incident in our life and less of a pattern. Because if I really say that I'm a Christ follower and I can willingly continue just to live like I want to live and live against God and his word again and again and again and again, you know what happens the more I disobey God in the same way again and again and again? I'll get to a point where I never feel convicted by that sin anymore. You know this, right? When sin becomes a pattern and it becomes who I am and I'm just going to say, well, this is who I am. I'm going to keep doing this and I know it's outside of God's plans for my life and I'm going to keep choosing sin. You know what will happen over time? I'll get so hard, well, I will never ever feel or be convicted and hear God's voice in my life even when it's a whisper in my soul. Some of you don't have to even imagine this. This right now is your spiritual life. You once knew something and you once said something but you have lived disobedient for so long that you no longer, you're holding on to sin and you're missing what life could be like with Christ. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Right? But what if that uncovers something that needs to be dealt with that's been long overdue? I mean, come on. I mean, we got to stop getting in the way of what God wants to do, but we've got to ask the question, is sin for me right now an incident or is it a pattern? And if it's a pattern, man, i got to come back to the root of it because if the root's not representing the fruit that I want in my life, then i got to ask the question, why is the fruit not representing the root, Right? Because somewhere along the way, it starts here, but it should always show up here. And I think we miss this a lot of times as we move through the scriptures, right? And as I look at what John's trying to help them to see, it's what the striving for is the difference between real and fake. It's what the desire for be the difference between what we're living on and what we're acting on. And so the question is, what is the fruit in your life? And What is your life actually rooted in? Now, even as I wrestle with this, I I realize this. As Christians, we're going to still struggle with sin. But there's a difference between temptation and actually falling into that sin or stepping into that sin or choosing that sin, right? Sometimes I feel guilty about the temptation, even though I can't control the temptation. but, But I know that it could lead me closer to taking an actual step. And even in that, it gets my attention. Or, Or come on, I'll use language like our culture. Come on, this is just who I am. This is what I desire. This is what I want for life. But in, you look at the scriptures and go, but if I live like that, I'd be rebelling against God. Can I tell you you're greater than your desires? That's what the Bible says. But yet oftentimes we have desires. Listen, desires is not disobedience until you act on it. It's one thing to have a desire. It's another thing to embrace it. And God says, if you're going to live with me, man, you can't, you can't hold on to a pattern of sin. And live for me. You can't keep practicing that sin and live for me. Listen, it's it's either you're connected to me or you're not. Let's see that 
in your life. And I love how real it is here. Let's just keep reading here. Look at this, verse 9. Now one who is born of God's will, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. You see, this is another place where I want you to see not only does God the Father love, not only has Jesus the Son died for us, but I want us to see this. Oh, I didn't take this off the board. I want you to see this, this this next point. Now God the Spirit lives in you. Now you might think, oh, Pastor, you just read that. I didn't hear anything about the Holy Spirit. But it said God's seed, God's seed is now in you. Remember when Jesus was alive and he was about to leave and his disciples said, don't leave us, don't leave us. And he says, no, no I got to leave you. It's actually going to be good if I leave you. Because when I leave, I'm going to send what? I'm going to send another to you. Remember that? Matter of fact, John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he included this part in the story where Jesus was talking to them, encouraging them. And what Jesus once said in John chapter 14 was this. He says that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, that the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him, Christian, because he lives with you and he will be in you. I love this. The Holy Spirit wants to live in you, in li- live within me, so that we can now have the ability, the power to obey and to live how God wants us to live. To live for God instead of living for sin. And he said the distinguishing marks in living for Jesus in living for others. It's how we treat others and how this thing gets displayed. But the question is, have you been born again? Let's check the root. And then the question is, can, can you tell me your testimony? We often ask that question. Can you tell me your story, right? Tell me your testimony. That's your salvation. But I'd go further than that and say, show me your testimony. Let, let me see that you've actually been changed. I'm going to ask our worship team to go ahead and come back up. And this has freaked them out the last two weeks. <laughs> Me leading early. They're like, no, we're not used to that, Pastor. But I think this is one of those messages where I do a lot of teaching. And then I just wanted to rest here for a minute. Because I think God's speaking right now to, to our church right now. God's speaking to people right now down at Fredericksburg and even online. And, and right now, this is a lot to process. A lot to think upon. Come on, pastor, this is supposed to be 4th of July week, you know, come on. And we have to get varsity here on Sunday. I mean, what in the world? Listen, if you're mad at anybody, let's blame God and his word, right? Because we're just walking through and it just happens to be right here, right now, in real time. And so I think this actually is good. God's shooting fireworks everywhere. His light's shining on all of us. And the question is, am I real or am I fake? I love that. There's no hiding in between. And sometimes you knowing it and you owning it can be a great first start to start with God. And so again, the question would be, what is, your, what is seen from your life? What's the fruit of your life? Can I see Christ in you? Is it visible, right? I don't mean you're perfect. 
I'm not saying you're sinless, but you sure sin a lot less now that you walk with Jesus than you used to. There ought to be a change happening. You ought to be becoming somebody new. God says, I come to make all things new. Is your life rooted in your salvation? Is your life rooted in a, in a relationship? It's powerful when you begin to see this. But you know what, as I see it, this is, this is what kind of makes me just kind of, wow, God. Last week, how many of you here last week? Last Sunday, man, what a strong Sunday there was too. Last Sunday, I finished with a story about doing this wedding. Remember that? And then the father of the bride had Muslim background, and he was like fit to be tied at the end of that wedding, right? And if you were here last Sunday, he came up to me, and he was challenging me on the, the ceremony and how offended he was. And I asked him point blank, what about the service offended you? Do you remember that part? After he said, hey, all roads lead to the same place. Hey, we all have the same God. Why can't you start there? Then he told me what made him mad is when we did the vow part and it was about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, when I declared God's word in that way, that's when he realized, hey, our faiths aren't the same. I can't embrace the Trinity. I can't embrace that God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's not what my faith is about. And I said, absolutely, now we know, right? There's a difference. And what I love is here we are seven days later, back in the next chapter of Scripture, and John says it's not just about who you are, it's about whose you are. And what did he respond with? The Father loves you. Jesus died for you. And the Holy Spirit now wants to live in you. Is this not strong? God responds again with the Trinity, the aspect of God and what God wants to be. Because you know what? When we begin to see it's not about law and a lot about religion and not about rules, but it's about a relationship, then every time I step out of bounds, I don't just break the law, I break the heart of a God that I'm in love with. And man, that motivates me to want to live in a different way. Man, I want to live close to the Lord. How about you? But that's what real Christianity is about, isn't it? Let me tell you how real-time God is in my conversation with Him. I studied this all week, and then on Friday night, our kids came back from Young Life Camp, and we are all like, hey, talk about it. And afterwards, I went upstairs for a little bit, and, and like I do sometimes, I like watching stuff on Netflix or, or Amazon Prime. And I was watching this movie, and I thought, oh, it's a mindless movie. I was turn it on. And as I'm watching it, I'm about a third of the way in the movie. You ever watch a movie, and you're like, why am I watching this? And they're like, it's, it's like there's some obscenity stuff in there. And you're like, man, I don't need to be watching this. And in that moment, God brought that verse where it said, those who are real in Christ will purify themselves because they'll want to be pure like Jesus. And I started going, oh, but I'm a third of the way through. I got to finish this movie now, right? You know, all of a sudden you start rationalizing with it. And I knew God was saying, why are you doing this to yourself? And then finally, I, finally I said, you're right. And I just clicked it off, closed it up. And I said, I'm going to go to bed, right? Does the Holy Spirit talk to y'all like that? He does me. You see, you got to let him lead. You got to let him lead. But when he leads you, you got to be willing to obey when he shows you something that's not good for you. I share that with you to give you some motivation, to give you some courage to say, listen, I know, I know we don't always get this perfect. But our motivation ought to be, I want to honor the Lord. If you're truly saved, that's what this is all about.
So let me give you a few spiritual landmarks so that we can all evaluate ourselves today. Because maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not a Christian. Or maybe you're here today and you say, oh, I am a Christian. Then these are some good sentences for us to say. Which one would describe where I'm at right now today? This is what we're going to close with today. Look at this. Look at this. Really. Number one, maybe you're sitting here among us. Maybe you're watching online right now and you're saying, I, don't, I do not know God or follow Him. Is that true for you today? I don't know God and I don't follow him. That could be you today. Look at this next sentence. I know what God wants, but I refuse to follow. Could that be true of you today? You just don't understand, Pastor. I I, I wanna live like this right now. I wanna do these things right now. And I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know that. I, I can't rationalize that with scripture. I know it's wrong, but I wanna do this right now. I don't wanna surrender to you. I don't wanna follow. Could this represent you today? Come on, right now, there's some struggles going on. And as our pastors walk with our family here, we sometimes get to celebrate high moments in life, but sometimes we walk in the valleys with people. And right now there's this one couple, and I don't want to embarrass them today, but the husband has finally realized, I don't want to be married anymore. I've been married about 10 years. So he tells his wife, he declares this a few months ago, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I don't love you anymore, right? And he moves out of the house. And on top of that, he tells her this, I don't know if I believe in God anyway. I've been going with you all these years. I, I, I don't believe in God either. And, and you know, she shared that with me too, that not only is he rejecting her, he's rejecting God and he's in this moment. I said, you know what, let's don't be surprised here because when you're doing wrong, sometimes you've got to push God far, far away because to know that God is there and you still willfully do what you're about to do, man, that'll break you right there. Some of y'all know this, don't you? Is this you right now? Can I tell you, this doesn't have a good ending. You're not gonna wanna live that, that, that way for a long time. But maybe this is you, I love this one. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Man, there's progress, there's progress. I mean, I'm in a process. Man, I look back on my old life and go, man, praise God, I'm not there anymore. But I look ahead, I'm going, but I, I still got a lot of work. There's still a lot of road ahead. I'm not where I used to be, but, but look at this. Look at this. I said it wrong. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. But I'm, I'm heading, I'm heading in the right direction finally. Could that be you today? Could that be you? And then this last one, let's just kind of get there with this one. This is what I hope for. I know whose I am. So I know where I'm going. I know whose I am, so I know where I'm going. It's not just about knowing who you are, it's knowing whose you are. Can I tell you today, a father loves you. God the Father loves you. Man, can I tell you that Jesus died so that thing that keeps tripping you up could be removed. Come on. That that devil, the Diablos that tells you all that false stuff and hurts you and slanders you and makes you feel horrible about yourself, guess what? That's nothing but a lie. And guess what God came to do? Jesus came to die to remove your sins and to stop the work of the devil in your life. And can I tell you some good news? When you're weak, he is strong. It means the Holy Spirit now is living in you and through you. That's what God wants to do in a relationship with you. 
Would you pray with me? Father God, wow. I'm so glad we didn't just mail in this Sunday, but God, today we stayed in stride with your word. God, today you're speaking to people. God, today you're speaking to your church. And God, I pray that we would receive your words today on top of receiving your love, receiving a Savior and Lord, and receiving the power that we desperately need. God, today, as you speak to Christians all around this room and down in Fredericksburg and online, I pray that you would build them back up and encourage them today, even if today's message is convicting because they have taken their eyes off of you and sin has become a pattern in their life. Today, would they confess? Today, would they turn around and repent? Today, God, would they allow you to make them right? God, lead us in this hour. God, this is not an accident that we're here. It's divine and it's on purpose. And God, today, you're telling us whose we are. We thank you, God, for relationship. May that motivate us this next seven days to live. But God, I'm convinced today that even on a holiday weekend like this, there's somebody here that's never trusted, that's never believed. And God, maybe sometimes the scariest place is to sit in church for decades and then finally get an awakening that you've been a counterfeit Christian, that you've been living fake. God, to admit that goes against the pride of our life. I remember a conversation I had with my granddad right before he passed away. He used to say he was an atheist and I was sharing the gospel of Jesus with him and he said, Todd, if I accept now, it it means I'm admitting that I was wrong my whole life. And I told my granddad, you can keep holding on to that pride and go to hell or you can embrace the grace of Jesus Christ today experience what you were made for. God, for that person that's holding on to pride, that's been convicted today, that their life bears no fruit of being a child of God. God, I'm not a pastor that likes to talk people in to getting saved again, but God, you can't do something again that you never laid down the first time. I'm praying for surrender today, for someone to lay their life down, to lay their path down, to lay their mistakes down, to lay their pride down, and to say, I need Jesus, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a sinner, and I need a savior today. Come on, is that you? Would you talk to God? That's what prayer is. Tell him, say, God, I'm wrong. Today I realize that. I need Jesus. I need a new life. Would you tell him that? Father, your words are speaking. Thank you for being with us today. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your great name.